Hey, Doug. Oh, hey, Karen. How are you? I'm doing good. We had an interesting verdict today. That was a good verdict. It was a relief. It was a relief. It, it, was, a, it was a relief verdict. verdict. Um, it's a nice instance of, 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 for one time, the right thing panning out. Yeah, of yeah. Justice I was, being served. I know. I was a little bit like, oh, shit. You know what I mean? Like, when I got the alert, like, the, the, the verdict was coming in, mm-hmm. and the news alert, and I was like, oh, man. Like, this is going to... Are they going to do the right thing? And like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? The right thing, you know, because yeah. like so many times, juries have just not done the right thing. And you know, I the bits that that I did read about with the testimony was just like I just would sit there and go, how could they find this person not guilty? Like, how how yeah. how could a jury? Like, there's no way he has to be guilty. And but we've seen trials like that before, yeah. and they've come back yeah. with like the no guilty verdict. So I was kind of like, I don't know what's gonna happen. So I was actually very surprised that they did the right thing. Isn't that awful? It's like so awful. Like I kept saying, I get it. It's awful. Awful I mean, like surprised. we're like people are for to whatever degree celebrating just that it's like the rare instance of, of of justice being served when something terrible happens because right. it happens so infrequently. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, big, um, big developments today, but it just kind of feels like a tiny step, right? Because, I mean, the man should be alive. George Floyd should yeah. be, not be dead. Like, that's kind of like it. Like, it's, it's like, okay, right? We, we got this, but at the same time, it's still kind of like a hollow victory, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's the best turnout that could have come from completely preventable, unnecessary tragedy. Yeah. Yes, yes. And um, I don't know. I hope that this is, uh, I don't know, um, you know, a, a, an alert or a, a, a warning shot to these right. cops that are kind of out there, you know, being like, you know, rogue, like they, they, they think this is like policing and it's not, and it shouldn't be, and it's problematic. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where this came from, you know, this sort of behavior, <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously we know where its roots are, but, you know, this is just kind of, I don't know. Hey, look, maybe, hey, look, maybe it's always happened. We just have cameras that are catching it. Maybe that's it. Uh, I, that's, I think, part of it. I think that's it, you know, so. Anyway. Well, you know what? Kind of like the last time it was really incendiary in terms of, like, race relations and riots and stuff was Rodney King. You know what happened right oh, after the yeah. Rodney King uh, riots? Yeah. Melrose Place was born. Yeah. From the ashes, <laughs> <laughs> rises Melrose Place. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Yet here we are with season five. Oh, I keep screwing that up, right? Season five, episode six. six, 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 season six, episode three, no time for sperm bank. No time for sperm banks, yeah. That doesn't uh, make sense. It should be the sperm bank. No time for sperm bank or for the sperm bank. I think it is. I don't have time to wait on sperm banks. Knock me up now. I think that's what uh, that means. Got it. She ain't got time for sperm banks. No. No. Okay. So so this was an episode. It was an episode. Oh, did, did you? Uh, okay. Oh. 
Okay, so so yeah. um, peeking behind the curtain, guys, Karen texted me, and she's like, oh, my God, such bad acting. Do you know what scene I'm talking about? And I hadn't rewatched the episode yet, so I did not. Um, so I was like, I'm going to guess which scene Karen is talking about. And I actually have a tie. There's, okay. there's, there's like a prediction, but also a runner-up prediction. So as we go through it, I'm going to say, like, was this it? Because there's honestly there's a couple vying for like just such kind of like ludicrously wobbly bad acting afoot okay okay i'm very curious so the scenes that you chose did they <laughs> were did they include the same exact actors more or less they're the same couple of people yeah okay all right i think we're close i think you got i think i i'm gonna call it i'm gonna say you got it right but okay. <laughs> I hope, I hope, I hope. All right, where do you want to start? Um, I guess we should do the very beginning. Okay. Um, so, so here's something I never thought I would say. Billy has put together a, a business prospectus. here's something I don't understand. Why the hell was this the cold open? And it was a long one, too. It was a couple scenes. Yeah, it, yeah, it was long. It was so... You know, like, it didn't really tee anything dramatic up, but this is where we are. I guess, yeah. like, we've got two major, like, dramatic things happening in this episode. And one we'll get to involving Taylor, but the other thing involves, like, this newly proposed takeover that Amanda is going to do, so she is going to take over Craig's Sky High advertising, where Billy is whatever, second in command or Guy Friday. I don't know what he is. There. I don't even know what he is. He has an office. That's all we know. But the weird thing, and this to me is weird, it continues through the episode, Billy is really the one driving the takeover that will ultimately benefit Amanda. So there's like a lot of talk about Amanda and there's a lot of hostility thrown Amanda's way eventually, but this isn't her choice. This isn't her brainchild and she's not really the one doing most of the driving to, to get it done. So right. a little weird. And I don't know if, I don't know if any of this feels off. I'm not sure if much of it has to do with the fact that, Heather Lothley was pregnant, and maybe they're trying to reduce her screen time, so they're talking about Amanda more than Amanda is actually, th like, the uh, her own agent of getting things done. I don't know. But... Right. But and I will say, again, we did not... I actually had forgotten that conversation about when I rewatched this week about her being pregnant. And I think the only, like shot we got of her that wasn't like head and shoulders was uh when she like put on her bathrobe and walked out of the bedroom and so it was a mm -hmm. behind shot so i think that 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 they are doing that creative camera work to obscure the pregnancy i think so i think i think if you look at her you can tell she's probably pregnant but i think that's also i'm convincing myself of that because i just remember that she was right at this time so right. so yeah i do think that's part of it. And I don't know if I picked up on it first time around, but I think maybe uh, in general, they've written for her to do less for a spate, a spate of episodes. I don't know. 
you know, it's funny because I think like when you sort of said they like they picked the most undramatic sort of storyline or scene or whatever to open to cold open. And I'm kind of feeling like that way about the whole season so far. It's just very undramatic, particularly for Melrose, particularly when you look at like season four that was just like so over the top. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, it, there is none of that now. Um, so it's for- almost like we're back at season one that like all of their problems are kind of a little bit more like real life ish. I mean, they're not exactly like season one because right. Well, the they're still and they're the, still yeah. convoluted, but they're also more sedate now. Right, that's a good word. Sedate. And that's not as much fun. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to go through the work of having a relationship that doesn't work out. I want there to be scandals and big, like, crowd scenes and fights and stuff like that. Not just, like, another merry-go-round of, of like, who's literally and figuratively screwing over her. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. Like, I feel like, okay, I, I feel like the pool is just such a great example, or I don't know, can we call it a metaphor? I have no idea. No, it's not a metaphor. But like the pool, right? How many scenes were there that involved people getting into a tussle and falling into the pool? There have been a few. But not enough. And none right now. Like, I feel like- The the pool pool is for, the pool is for you to fall into in your grandmother's wedding gown. It is not for you to just throw your dead wife's wedding gifts in. Right. But I feel like there's no, t- like there hasn't been like, you know, like they, like they, that could have been great. They could have kept using that. There are just so many, yeah, there are so many things that they could have done that they just don't do um, on the show that is so frustrating. Well, and this to me feels more like daytime because while yes. there are like, there, right, there are yes. scenes of histrionics spaced out usually over the course of the year, but a lot of it is like, they all meet at the athletic club. The men are typically in like their suits because they come from or going to the office and the women are all like dressed to the nines and they sit and they like have a nice like meal or they like very attractively drink whatever alcohol of their choice. And it looks very glamorous, but they're just like talking things out at each other. That's what they spend most of the time doing. Right. And we're getting more of that now, I feel, than the actual action. Right. Where you're right. This is like daytime. And that's actually so funny because it kind of is a callback to season one, uh, season one, episode one, when I said I felt like they were filming Mm -hmm. it more like a daytime uh, show. It didn't have the same, uh, almost the same like film quality or, you know, camera work that that it had before that made it stand out as a nighttime soap. And Kyle's or the, the upstairs lounge, like that to me feels like something plucked right out of all my children or whatever. Yeah, a general it? hospital. Yeah, sure, it feels exactly. like yeah, I almost yeah, said, yeah. it feels like a general hospital set. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It feels um it just yeah, it doesn't feel like uh like a place where the nighttime soaps would be hanging out. Certainly not our baby. No. Okay. So Billy is up all night working on these secret files. Um, to have a meeting with Peter. Yeah, he keeps calling him Peter Burns. I'm like, we know you know who Peter is. Just say Peter and just say it once. (laughs) He's like, oh, I got a meeting with Peter Burns. Peter Burns is going to underwrite 
the this new uh, advertising agency with Amanda. So I'm going to meet with Peter Burns. Like, just say Peter. Everybody knows who Peter is. <laughs> but he lived upstairs from you for two years. Everyone knows. But through this sort of exchange, Sam is like more and more horrified because then she's like, but what about Craig? Won't this destroy Craig? And, you know, and it's sort of like, why do you give a shit? Yeah. Also, because this is, I assume, the morning after um, Craig almost killed Sam and they like cried and embraced and forgave each other. Yes. And she tells Billy she has something to tell him and then doesn't because Billy starts going on about how he's going to help instigate this this business that will put Craig on the street. Um, so so eventually, like, Sam goes running to Craig, um, and she doesn't spill the beans, but she looks like she's going to. Or, certainly that she wants it to. Yeah. I, for a minute, I thought she was going to tell him. Yeah, and what they eventually do is they hug. And, of course... Who should come waltzing right in? Doesn't even live like near that entrance. She's upstairs. Jennifer. Yeah. So then, so Sam leaves. And then Craig and Jennifer kind of like have it out. Because he's like, I don't even like you. You're not my friend. And she's like, I may not be your friend, but I'm your lover. And it's like, uh, okay, go upstairs. Yeah. I loved how she was just like, you might not be your, my friend, but we're lovers now. And it was like, wait, what? Yeah, I'm like, well, okay, but one drunken tryst doesn't really entitle you to anything. Oh, my God. It's like, yeah. I was like, what? It was crazy. So then Peter Burns and Billy meet. And Billy is even better than I thought. Because not only did he do the prospectus, he has also come up with a logo for this new company. It's a terrible logo. And it's a terrible name. I mean, it's not exactly creative, Amanda Bur uh, Amanda Amanda Woodward Amanda advertising. AWA. <laughs> I was like, that's the best you could come up with. I know. Well, I guess it was better than the one that's the whatever the name of the ad agency is now that sounds like they're about to fly away. Sky High. Sky High, that's it. I mean, if you're in Incidentally, we're recording this on 420. I yes. should point that out. So speaking of sky high, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so basically, um, yeah. I guess I guess Peter's idea is he's going to um, give Amanda the money for this, and she'll fall back in love with him. Yeah, like Peter is not over the Amanda thing, so I, there I, is something in it for him. I kind of love how like he went from like being like super like weird about like Beth and Taylor and trying to turn Taylor into Beth and being sort of like not even menacing but I mean he was menacing but he was also kind of crazy and now he's yeah, just he's like, deranged yeah he was like totally deranged throughout that whole storyline and now he's just like plain old normal Peter. yeah we dropped yeah. Alyssa and I talk about that too it's like so once Michael and Taylor conspired against Peter and he caught them and he humiliated Taylor and dumped her and, you know, like destroyed Michael's hands. It's like, yeah, but you were still doing the bad thing too. And we've all forgotten about that. And we, as we so often do on this show for Peter Burns. Um, <laughs> it just seems like he went to such a dark place and then it's just like, boom. And now he's Peter. And you're like, wait, I mean, I know that 
this isn't how other writers think. I still feel gypped that once they revealed that Taylor is Beth's sister and that Taylor has discovered Peter, that there was never a scene or a phone call or a mention or anything with Taylor and Beth's mother, who we met in the season five premiere, and be like, oh, this guy, there was there was a trial. We thought he killed uh, your other daughter. Like, guess what, mom? He's still alive. Also, guess what, mom? Now I'm with him. Like, I feel like that's a conversation I would have wanted to see. I guess, but it's Melrose Place. We're never going but to they get that. Care. No, yeah. and it's done now. Yeah. Um, so yeah so meanwhile much, billy shows up at work he's got all the paperwork for amanda woodward advertising <laughs> so um, stupid and then later craig's craig needs the files for a campaign that billy has already or billy has already left and craig needs to see some files um and so billy's assistant is like well he's already left but go into his office and craig is snooping through the drawers and he sees all of the files that Lo Billy has put together with, right. with Peter Burns. Lo and behold, <laughs> in, indeed. So then, and here is a creepy scene. Craig goes down <laughs> yes. to the laundry room. Yes. And like, all we see is like this overhead shot of Sam like crouched down by the washer dryer, putting the clothes in, moving them around as Craig's like sussing around and then eventually uh, addressing her um, to confront her about what he knows about Billy and finally Sam blabs like she kind of like tells all about what what Billy's doing but what Craig interprets this to be is that like Amanda is leading the charge and Amanda has put Billy up to this and it's all Amanda 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 and Craig is focusing all his anger on Amanda and like right. Billy is more or less just the middleman here right which is dramatically fruitless in addition to just being like, you know, like dumb and poorly executed in general, which I just expected that. That's sort yeah. of part of the course here. Yeah. It was quite terrible. Yeah. Um, was that the scene you texted me during? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> and I'm kind of curious, is the scene, it, it was the runner up the next scene that we're going to talk about? It sure was. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because there'd be some bad acting happening it is, around. Uh, I mean, like, it is definitely clear. We have several uh, uh, tiers of, of acting talent in our cast. And we have hit rock bottom with this crew. We have hit rock fucking bottom. I mean, it is, like, emoting. They are emoting. Um, and it is, you know, straight with, like, the faces that get all scrunched up and the... <laughs> I mean, it was just terrible. I mean, terrible, terrible. And that sort of like, you know, and the, the hands that curl into fists because they're this is how we show we're angry. I mean, no, it's just bad. But anyway, next scene. Um, I don't know why this would ever happen, but Billy and Craig are playing racquetball. Yes. <laughs> they couldn't confront each other at the office. They couldn't, they could, they the couldn't be in the courtyard. Yeah. <laughs> it had to be racquetball. <laughs> These are like... Let's just dial it back. These are two people who hate each other. Um, Craig has dated Billy's current girlfriend and treated her like shit. They have fought over work when they worked at D&D. &D, and Billy is at least partially responsible for the tragic death of Craig's 
brand new bride. And yet they're fucking playing racquetball together on their own time. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Um, and, and Craig, like, asks Billy, uh, you know, like, I can trust you. You know, like, like he's digging for Billy to, to somehow catch himself or out himself. Um, and, and Billy doesn't. And then Craig is like, never mind. I know all about it. I know that Amanda's starting a new company and you're behind it. You lied to me. I hate you. You're fired. And then Billy's like, yeah, it's all true. And I didn't even feel bad about it. Yeah. And then he takes out the, the little like uh, canister of racquetballs and goes, I believe these balls are yours. Yeah. <laughs> Which honestly, though, I think that was the best line in the whole episode. <laughs> Uh, Michael has a couple lines that we'll get to, but otherwise that probably is. But, okay, I have a stupid, like, uh, devil's advocate question. Okay. I mean, I know all of these three people are idiots, but, like, if you're going to have any sort of loyalty to someone as a viewer, don't you kind of root more for Craig than for Billy or Sam in that... Craig just lost his wife <laughs> and Billy and Sam are partially responsible? Or are we just supposed to be like completely moving on and be like, well, Craig is still a dumb, spoiled guy, so it's time for him to get his ass handed to him. Well, I think I think the thing about with with his character arc, if you can even call yeah. it that, is I think like Sydney was supposed to be his redemption. Correct. Um and then and then she's dead. And so I don't know if when they wrote in the redemption character arc that was before they knew that Laura Layton was going to leave. And then they were like, oh, shit, what do we do now? Let's ma let's marry them off and kill her. Um, but it sure seems like that, you know, so I don't know. I kind of feel like he didn't and he didn't come to that redemption until really, really, really late. Because remember, he was sort of like chasing Sid or whatever he was doing because he was trying to get her to drop that lawsuit like that right. was his and, and and potentially win Amanda back yes and and it was it was his and that was how he was going to win Amanda back exactly and so and so Sydney was just a pawn to him and then he ended up falling for her um you know for two episodes or whatever and then she died so it just kind of feels like, first of all, he didn't have a long enough time to be redeemed because I still look at him and I feel no pity. Like, I still look at him and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I don't really feel pity, but I, I think part of the problem is that, like, the other side is Billy. So I really don't feel any sympathy or really even affinity uh, with him. Okay. Um, so, I mean, like, basically... It's a dumb story with bad actors, but I also think by lifting Amanda out of all of these exchanges, they're doing them no favors right now. And I can't remember if that continues into the next couple episodes as this takeover storyline will continue. Um, like there might be more direct exchanges with Amanda. We're just not having them right now. So it really, it really sinks this even further. So Billy's out of a job now. He's been fired. Sam is working as a cashier. How the hell are they going to afford the apartment? Amanda's got to kick him out. No, I don't know, but if Jennifer can afford her rent, then I'm sure they can find some sort of job. To, yeah, to... but Jennifer's bartending. Like, they make some good money in L.A. Well, I mean, maybe Kyle could hire Billy. There's an idea. 
There is an <laughs> idea, but but what I think is never worry about Billy. He always lands on his web feet. Yes, he does. Um, he'll probably get a movie deal. Um, so <laughs> Truth. Because that's what he wanted to begin with. Oh, that would be really funny, wouldn't it? Come full circle, he gets a job as a screenwriter. <laughs> yeah. That's Fucking what the show should it. do. I know, they really should. God, you know what? If I were in the writer's room, this show would have gone in a totally different direction. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, where are we now? I think we're with Peter and Amanda, right? Yeah, and I guess it starts with a little bit of, of Jennifer, um, who comes to Amanda with... Um, with her her rent, she's actually paying it early, and and she lets her know she's up front that Megan is staying with her, and you know it's like semi catty exchanges between the two of them. Just so Jennifer can say stuff like, "God, I can't believe that," you know, like Taylor's still here now that she's having Kyle's baby. Stuff just to bait Amanda, but nothing that's too malignant. Um, and I guess this was the part where I realized something we said in season five, which is uh, right now Amanda kind of suffers from not having any sort of ally, let alone friend. Um, because it's not, it's not like last season they were building to a storyline where she was alone and really had lost everything. Now it just like, it would be nice if she like, could have someone she could just talk to. Like any exchange with Kyle or Peter is always charged with their romantic histories. Um, but she doesn't have any other women. Like she doesn't have an Allison to occasionally right. even have a nice exchange with. You know, it's really funny that they did this with her because um, I know that when there was interest in my book, um, I was told like the big problem with it, you know, capital B, capital P, was that um, there was no female counterpart to my main character, and or, or at least in that particular book, the, that female counterpart was coming later. She just wasn't in the book. Um, she was talked about, but and that was like basically a big red flag. And like if you have, um, you know, a woman, a female lead character, she needs to have a sister, a best friend, or something like that, or else you don't... Is that to make her more relatable? Make her more relatable, or else mm-hmm. they they feel like women will not like that character. Wow, but I believe that. You know, so this completely, with what they did with Amanda, that completely goes against that sort of, like, line of thinking. Um, so I don't know if this is something like they've just like a trend thing that they caught into several years ago. Um, and maybe that's changed again. But if you sort of think about it now, you I don't think that you can have the sort of like lone wolf woman anymore. I'm trying to think if that is or is not what happened. Uh, like Grace Anatomy, clearly like Meredith had Christina. At right. least for for years and years and years, and probably has some sort of uh, replacement for that. I don't know if Kerry Washington had that on Scandal, but I think typically they all do now. Yeah, right. Because even if you think of like something like um, shit, we just talked about that movie a couple of weeks ago. Um, blah, 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 blah. Uh, with Rosamund Pike. I care a lot. I care a lot. Yeah. So even when you think about that um, movie and, and she was so not a likable character, but she still had her girlfriend right. that kind of made right. her more sympathetic. 
Yes, because you could see her behind closed doors. You could see where she was vulnerable. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, I mean, I guess we have those moments with Amanda because we do have those closed door moments. But she, I feel, yeah, you're right. She needs a girlfriend. Like, she needs, she needs a confidant. She needs a female character that she can turn to, she can go to, and she can say, this shit with Kyle's not sitting right, this shit with Taylor's not sitting right, this shit with my job isn't sitting, you know what I mean? Somebody that she can go and have that relationship with. Because through this all, she really hasn't, even though um, Allison, I guess, was kind of, but even then she was sort of like, she was kind of like the frenemy. Yeah, I mean, more often than not, they were at odds. But at yeah. least there were moments where, where they had, uh, you know, a friendship. Yeah. Interestingly, this was a problem that I said last year for Taylor, and I think Taylor has actually found an odd confidant that we'll get to. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but before we get to that, we've got some more Peter and Amanda stuff. So they yes. have dinner. Um, and this is when she finally finds out that he will be financing or co-financing Amanda Woodward advertising. And, you, you know, my res I was a little taken aback because her response is that she doesn't want his money. She doesn't want to owe him anything. She doesn't want to feel like he is trying to buy her love back. And I thought, well, actually, I think we're beyond this now. Peter is actually just doing this nice thing because he sort of misses her and regrets what they had. And he knows, like, it's the right thing. And also this will help Amanda's new storyline. But then it actually does turn out that Peter wanted to to have them be like romantic as as they were before. So it's like, oh, he does want a second chance. Never yeah, mind. But didn't this whole dinner seem weird? Like I was like, why would Amanda even agree to go to this dinner? Yeah. It comes kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. It's it's such a strange yeah, it completely came out of nowhere because it was all of a sudden the camera pans and they're in this restaurant together and I'm like, why are they there? Like why did yeah. she even agree to this? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think there's something I, uh, I'm going to fold in here okay. just to, just to tie Coop in. So, okay. yeah. so guess what? There's, there's now a third partner with Peter Burns and Michael Mancini. <laughs> um, and, uh, Coop has, has now joined and. Peter is, of course, taken aback because he didn't know anything about it. Um, and so Peter, excuse me, Coop is expecting, like, some files to come to the office. And Megan, being the very dutiful receptionist, um, is noticing things going on around the office. Like, she has also questioned Peter when he, she saw him with his accountant because she thought that meant something bad about Michael. She didn't know it actually had more to do with Amanda. Um, and she tells Coop that there are some messages from his ex from his wife and he corrects her and says his ex-wife so that's a little bit more information than we had about him and then later his mysterious files arrive and we see that they're kimberly's files from the hospital she was in post car accident with michael back in cleveland and then megan arrives and she's like oh let me help you unpack and he's like no it's okay and she goes no it's my job and she practically like he tries to hide, like, shield the Kimberly file that's in his hand and instead it ends up on the floor and of course Megan picks it up and sees it um, and she's like did you know Kimberly Shaw? And he's like, yeah, well she was a patient at the hospital when 
she was in Cleveland. And she's like, did you know that she's one of Michael's earlier ex-wives? And he's like, uh, I just found that out two days ago. Uh, I had no idea. And she's like, wow, interesting. I won't tell him. We'll keep it our secret. But I guess it must be fate. <laughs> That was so stupid. I mean, I, you know, and I couldn't figure out why it was important for her to know. I mean, it isn't yet, unless Coop does something else, I guess, suspicious to eventually pique Megan's curiosity. But yeah, like, it just seemed like, why did she, why did she need to find that out right then? Like, what, what is the purpose of her knowing that? I, I mean, there, I guess it was, isn't. oh, I guess it was, well, you know what it was? I think it was just because, I mean, this, well, this is something we would have to talk about, you know, with a different sort of setup, but it was because Mega, they had agreed not to lie to each other, Megan and Michael, for 48 hours, and now she has to lie to Michael, but it's not, it's more like a lie of omission, because. Yeah, it's not somebody, quite the same thing as, yeah. as a, the challenges Michael is facing during this uh, uh, honesty pledge, right? But um, it does it does set up another moment. So Amanda has rejected the money that Peter has offered her. Um, but later that night, while Kyle is still asleep, Amanda goes to the living room and calls Eric, who's Jeffrey Nordling back in New York, the boss that she was going to work for, and then turned down in person the second that that Kyle pledged his love for her. Um, so she's like. You said you would do anything to support me, so how about you help bankroll my new PR agency? And he's like, you know, I'll do anything for you. It's great. So, okay, it looks like Amanda was smart and resourceful and problem solved. Except Kyle. Can we just also remember, though, that when she left Eric in New York, he was very angry with her. Yes, and there was and no There was no damage control done between that moment in New York where he was basically like if you do this if you don't come to this to join my agency you'll never work again and advertising was basically yeah which is why yeah well did he say that to her face I feel like he did like I feel like all we saw him do was like throw the plant at the photo out on the wall or or whatever no I kind of remember him being slightly nasty about it and her being like I'm sorry but this is what I'm doing and I'm sorry you're upset and like walking oh you know what he did he said like I can't believe you're throwing this all the way for a man yeah, it was something like, but it was, it was, it was very sort of cutting and it was like the way that they left it, it didn't feel like one of those things where you could just be like, Hey, could I borrow half a million dollars? Yeah. Okay, great. Sure. You know, I'll give it to you. You know what I mean? It felt like it would be a little bit more awkward and uncomfortable than that. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't really make sense, but here we are. Yeah. Well, that's the whole episode, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> now that we're going through it, I'm like, yeah. that, that part didn't make sense either. <laughs> Yeah, well, welcome to Melrose. Yes. Okay, so Kyle shows up. But but it's more important that Kyle has overheard this and is now getting jealous. So so first he's mad that she has called Eric. And I guess Amanda never explains that this is what she flew to New York to do and he was that guy and and that they have a certain kind of business-friendly relationship. I don't know. Kyle is jealous. And then Amanda mentions that, well, she turned down... Peter's money. And he's like, what do you mean, Peter? Why didn't you tell me that? And she's like, well, I was going to tell you last night, meaning like four hours earlier, because uh, it's like 2 a.m. And um, 
And she's like, but we really didn't do much talking when I came home. And so he's like really, really mad and sulky. Um, and so then Peter is at the upstairs. I keep wanting to call it Kyle's, but it's actually the upstairs. And Kyle comes over to him um, and kicks him out. He's like, this drink's on the house. And he pours it out and, and sends Peter packing. And that's why I wanted to mention the stuff with Coop. Because then Peter on the way out sees Coop and is like, well, I guess this is my new business partner. Let me talk to him. Um, and they drink together and and actually kind of bond a little bit. Uh, they they toast to being two against one, the two of them against Michael Mancini. And also they toast to the women they've loved and lost. So for Peter right now, that's Amanda. And for Coop, we have a clue as to who that woman he has loved and lost is. And it's probably not the ex-wife who's been leaving messages no. for him with Megan. No. 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 And, and, you know, there is this sort of like, Michael, it's sort of like interesting because, dynamic, because Michael brought Coop in as sort of like to try and like push Peter out. And now, and Peter was very resentful of Coop, which I guess we can, you know, that's sort of part of, the, part of the storyline, part of the other storyline. Um, and, and now it's, and now we have this sort of like tables are turned and you're going to see the sort of pairing of, of Peter and, and Coop. Um, although I don't quite know, like, which, I mean, I, I'm making the assumption that Peter is going to align. I, I mean, Coop is going to align with Peter um, because he wants to get Michael. But at the same time, you know, the, the, sometimes Melrose can throw you for a curve. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know where they're headed. Sometimes they don't know where they're headed. Yeah. Oh, something I wanted to bring up before we move on is um, in talking about our, like, tiers of actors and how, like, Sam and Billy and Craig really can't sell anything. Mm -hmm. We don't know a lot yet about Coop, but his portrayer, Lyndon Ashby, is a significantly better actor than those people. Like, yes. it's not just because, you know, like, Craig or Sam came on the show later or whatever storyline they've got. Like, they're bad. They can't sell it. Lyndon Ashby is very good. Like, he's slick. Um, he's very good at telegraphing that there's more than we know yet. He's able to give the right inflection to the words that he is saying. He's able to pronounce words correctly. I mean, he's already like, you know, light years ahead. Of, give this man an Emmy. People. I know it doesn't <laughs> take much. Um, but I think, um, I honestly just don't remember all of the stuff that happens with Coop this season, but I remember thinking, well, Linton Ashby is do came in here and is doing a fine job. Yes, he is. I mean, he is definitely a bright spot. I'm glad you agree. What else has he done? Um, you know, I think he mostly did daytime stuff. Okay. I looked him up. I think he had one other big thing. Hey, Alyssa, was he in Mighty Ducks? Jeffrey Nordling? No, yeah. no, no, no. Lyndon Ashby. Was he in Mighty Ducks? No, Jeffrey Nordling was. Alyssa wants to point out that Jeffrey Nordling, Eric, that we were just talking about, was in oh, one of the later Mighty Ducks. Interesting, but not, not. I'm, um, but not Lyndon Ashby. Although, and we'll get to this later on in the season, Lyndon Ashby's real-life wife, also from the soaps, 
has a guest role. Oh. Well, he played the sheriff on the Teen Wolf series. He was in the Mortal Kombat movie in the 90s. He just like yeah. looks so familiar and like you know, but I don't know, maybe he's just got one of those faces. And oh, he's in the Wyatt Earp movie as Wyatt Earp's brother, so he's Kevin Costner's brother in that. Maybe that was it. I don't know. I just feel like I knew him, like I, I knew him yeah. somewhere. But like nothing here is ringing a bell. Mm. no and I think like mostly small parts here and there yeah because he's actually quite good yeah I think he's solid I enjoy watching him and he's clearly been working this whole time so good for him good for him um okay so we move on to Michael and Megan and Taylor <laughs> Um, but we start again with Jennifer. So she comes over to drive Michael, because remember, his hands are still in gauze, um, to his chief of staff meeting. And she says she's dialing the hospital, but really she dials Megan. And she, like, tells him she draws on a note. She's like, ask her to dinner, idiot. Um, I love these two together, by the way. I do, too. I, I, I just like love the dynamic between them. And at one point she said, if you do that, I'm going to call mom or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Um, so Michael asks Megan to join him for dinner and she refuses. So he eventually begs and she says yes. So Michael is still involved with Taylor because she has blackmailed him to help him, to help her get inseminated so that the timing still makes it look like Kyle could have impregnated her so she can get Kyle back with this. The timing still doesn't work, but okay. But anyway. The timing can't possibly work, especially <laughs> given that Kyle and her broke up months back. But Yeah, but um, we'll just pretend that didn't happen. Um, and I mean, I, there's like an exchange at the sperm bank. Um, Michael even gets a dig in at Kyle, which kind of felt unearned, because I don't think Michael and Kyle have had two conversations with each other. But um, but then Michael is having his dinner date with Megan. Uh, she mentions couples therapy. They have the world's worst-looking pasta. It's oh, like, yes, it it's like plastic rotini with just like a dollop of sauce in the middle of the, the dish. It looks awful. <laughs> Michael as a Mancini should know better. But they're eating at Kyle's, of course. Um, and then Taylor goes over to the two of them and interrupts Michael and says she needs to talk to him because she's having a problem with her pregnancy. When really, she drags him into the kitchen to tell him that she's ovulating and she needs sperm ASAP. Um, and again, pushes him to, to help her. Um, and then we next see Michael and Megan in therapy with uh, Dr. Visconti, who's actually going to be a regular player with Michael and Peter at the hospital, I think through the whole season, um, which is good, because I like this actor. Um, and, and he tells them that they need to practice complete and total honesty for 48 hours, right? It's 48 hours? Yeah, it's 48 hours. Yeah. Um, which, like, okay, for Megan, shouldn't be 
uh, difficult, although, as you pointed out with the Coop storyline, already finds it easy to not be 100% truthful. Um, Michael, it's like, I don't think if he's ever gone 48 minutes without telling a lie. Uh, and then later, Michael, oh, so Michael and Megan are going to do another date. Michael is on his way over to Jennifer's to uh, pick up Megan. When Taylor comes over, desperate, I guess it's Friday night, um, and the sperm bank is closed. And she needs, she says she's even checked. She's called a couple other sperm banks, and they're all closed. Which, first of all, how does she find them? And also, um, how many sperm banks are there in town? Like, I don't know how you, I, I don't know anything here, quite frankly. Um, but this is the title. This is, I ain't got time for sperm banks. I need someone to knock me up now. Um and she's basically like, I have to get pregnant tonight. And you're and she tells Michael, and this is her brainchild. This is the lightning bolt. Uh, that Michael has to be the one. He, he's like, go out to the bars and just find someone and sleep with them. She's like, no, Michael, it has to be you. You have to have sex with him. He's like, no, I'm going to Megan. And she's like, no, Michael. And like the next thing you know, she's straddling him on the couch. And he's, you know, like partially unable to fight her off. And that his hands are all tied up. But, um... He gives in to her pretty easily. And not only does he have sex with her, he spends the whole night with her because he doesn't come over to Jennifer's to apologize to Megan for a whole another 12 hours. Yeah. So the next morning that he comes over. Yeah. Um, and, and this is the other scene where they're like trying to be funny. Michael's saying all this stuff, this innuendo. He keeps lying to Megan. He's like, well, I, there was a really bad patient. It was touch and go i had to squeeze the patient in the patient was moaning all night and it's lies <laughs> lies lies sex and lies um and um i mean at this point you're just like megan Lee. say goodbye Close yeah. the door. don't look back there's nothing to salvage here um but but what i meant to say about taylor is these are the scenes that are being played for the most comic relief yeah, uh, like like Taylor's urgency, this, this desperation, is ridiculous, and the storyline is ham-fisted. But but it's it's not as nefarious and mean a Taylor as we saw last season. And in Michael, Taylor does have the confidant. She can unload on him about all the things that she wants and needs and the different people that she's going after, which is the thing that she didn't have last year. She didn't have that friend or that ally that she could be like, I'm, I'm talking to Peter because blah, blah, blah. Or right. one from Kyle is X, Y, Z. That sort of thing. She right. had that in Michael. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then we get one more scene. Uh, Taylor's in Michael's office. Um, and she again pushes him. She's like, my chances are even better if we have sex again. And then, you know, <laughs> you know, she's having sex with him. He gives right in, 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 in his chief of staff office. Yes. Which is frankly a little dangerous because Megan has been known to show up at the hospital unexpectedly, but there you go. He's living like, he's living dangerously. I mean, that's what I want, quite frankly, is Megan to find them out. Yes. Very much. And so there we are. No time for sperm banks, but plenty of time on the block. <sighs> so, yeah, I don't know. I give this episode a... <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's right. I don't know. I give this episode a four, four and a half, five. At least it's not season four. Out of ten, right? <laughs> and yeah. there's a barometer. At least it's not season four. <laughs> yeah, like, it's okay. 
Yeah, like it's not terrible. It's it's watchable, but it just doesn't have the oomph. Yeah, there's nothing super bad, but there's nothing super great. And that to me is a disappointment yeah. because Melrose could be super great. And and I just worry that we've lost it. And there are still so many head scratchy moments here where it just where they're doing things that just don't make sense or are or feel completely unnecessary. And um and also, again, we're seeing these sort of like character detours that are also leaving us going, wait, what the hell? Yeah. And, you know, um, but, you know, obviously we'll soldier on. Doing it for you guys. That's right. Let us know what you think. Um, so I guess that's the episode and we're going to go to Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, we're going to kick it 2021 style. Including some chat about the Oscars and some TV stuff. Uh, yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, so we'll see you on over there. Catch us there, guys. Until then, be well, and we'll see you next week back on the block. <laughs>